Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day here at midweek as we wrap up the month of July. Quite a bit going on in biofuels news. Uh, we have EPA Administrator Wheeler defending EPA's granting of those small refinery waivers and saying that they really aren't impacting ethanol demand. We'll get the other side of that from Jeff Cooper. President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, his response to those comments by Andrew Wheeler. Also, a court petition has been filed by the biofuels industry and a a hearing going on in Michigan on biofuels. So a lot going on today. Jeff Cooper will be with us to talk about it. Tom Vilsack, former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, testified yesterday before the Senate Finance Committee about the importance of USMCA, and he'll join us a little bit later on in the program to talk about the benefits and the need to get USMCA passed. And today we'll get our Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Day's preview from Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress. So all that coming up. On a busy program today. Well, we're going to start it off with a look at the news with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Uh, Big headline in that Mike Conaway, former chair of the House Ag Committee, now ranking member of the House Ag Committee, has announced he will not seek re-election. Has that caught people by surprise? I would say it has caught people by surprise. Uh, But uh, in a way, I, uh, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, but I could certainly see why he's going to do it. Uh, the biggest factor may be that even th- that after this se- session or, of Congress, uh, Conaway has to give up being the top Republican on agriculture, whether he is the ranking member or the chairman. Uh, and that's because the Republicans have these rules about how many uh, terms a, uh, a member can serve in a leadership position. So he would have to be uh, starting over somewhere else if he's going to have a, a ranking member or, or chairmanship. Um, so maybe he just decided he'd had enough. Also, he was very disappointed that he didn't get the changes to the food stamp program that he wanted in the farm bill. So uh, maybe he's just decided uh, it's time for another phase of his life. Yeah, he has uh, been a, a key part of a lot of... Uh ag legislation, including the farm bill. Uh, so that'll be a big seat to see who ref- who fills it. And uh, have you heard anything about that district well, and I, uh, who might be oh, uh, well, in well, line? To, fill that district? To, yeah. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't know. I think the next person, uh, next high rank, highest-ranking Republican on the committee is, is Glenn Thompson from Pennsylvania, although I didn't actually go to the list this morning and check that out. Uh, so I'd say in Washington, people are much more concerned about who will be, <clears throat> who will provide Republican leadership on the committee uh, than they are in who will uh, take uh, Conaway's uh, seat. Uh, after all, these uh, you know these freshman members of the of the House don't have a lot of power. They really have to start at the bottom. Although some of them get a lot of attention. 
Well, indeed, and in <laughs> this Congress, uh, uh, yes, yeah, some of them get a lot of attention. You're referring to the squad, but yeah. also uh, uh, Colin Peterson, the Democratic chairman of the committee, uh, has highlighted some of the freshmen that are on his uh, on his committee, uh, even making Abigail Sandberger a, 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 a committee a subcommittee chairman on uh, on conservation. So uh, it all depends on on what the leadership. Uh, wants to do with them, whether they think that uh, these people need attention, whether they deserve it, or whether they are worried that if they don't get some special position, they won't get reelected. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, when uh, Mike Conaway leaves Congress. All right, so on USMCA, House Democrats have kind of put out their list of what they want to see changed before they will vote for it. So I guess the ball's now in the uh, on the... Uh, the Trump administration side of the court to see how they respond to that. That's right. They need to come back with a, with a proposal. Um, and, uh, of course, the Senate had their hearing yesterday, and the Democrats, I mean, not the Democrats so much, but the the uh, ag people who testified, uh, Bill Sack, representing the dairy groups, and also um, uh, Corteva said pass this right away. Uh, labor unions are still saying, well, we got to have some changes. Uh, so, the, you know, but I think we've inched forward uh, with this group that Pelosi put together uh, who, uh, to meet with the, uh, with the administration. Uh, but, Mike, I want to note the biggest news on trade today is that the White House just put out a statement that China is, has promised to increase agricultural purchases. Now, it's vague. They haven't said anything more than that that they've agreed to buy something, and that more negotiations will take place in September. Uh, That's all we've got, but it's something. This has kind of become the pattern, right? We hear this every time they get ready to talk. Uh, That's right. Uh, uh, Yeah, yeah. who knows whether it will happen, and they didn't say if it would be soybeans or pork or what it would be. Uh, it's just a statement that they've promised to make some purchases. Yeah, we'll see if that turns out to be anything or not. Meanwhile, I mentioned this yesterday. Unlike past uh, rounds of discussions and talks between the two sides, it seems like both sides, and perhaps maybe even more President Trump, lowering expectations going into this round of talks. Yes, I think uh, I think that uh, President uh, Trump has had some uh sobering messages about exactly where the Chinese stand. And the American lobbyists that I talk to who deal with China say that China's in this for the long game, uh, that they are still remembering what they consider to be the century of shame. Uh, uh, you know, really, the 20th century was a, uh, was a bad period for China in its relations with the West, in which they lost a lot of stature in the world. And they want to make up for it. So they are determined to become more world leaders. Uh, and the, a lot of the lobbyists think the U.S. is just going to have to get used to that. Yeah. It, even the president now saying that maybe China's strategy is to wait and see what happens with the next, uh, uh, next year's presidential election here and see if they can uh, maybe be dealing with someone else or not so we'll see what happens there all right good to talk with you jerry quite a bit happening now the senate uh, wraps things up this week right and then they go on their recess 
yes. Uh, uh, this morning, Senator McConnell uh, told the Senate that they have to pass the budget agreement before they leave town. There's been a lot of grumbling among the Republicans, a bit of fear that fewer than half the Republicans uh, in the Senate will vote for it, which means it actually passes on Democratic uh, votes rather than Republican votes, and that's a bit embarrassing to McConnell. Uh, but that's uh, but he told them in a speech just this morning, we've got to pass this before you leave, and that's an implicit threat uh, mm-hmm. to say that he might keep them there until they do. All right, Jerry, thanks a lot. All right. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Lots of biofuel news next with Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids, parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patients need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. And let's talk weather with ETM meteorologist Mike Pomerino. Mike, that was quite a heat wave that rolled across the country. It was. It, uh, you know, clearly if you're going to get something like this, it's going to happen in midsummer, and uh, it did. And, you know, with all that moisture we've seen uh, during the spring, uh, it just brought those humidity levels just through the roof. So pretty tough to take, but fortunately it is now in the past. Yeah, what's on the backside now of that heat wave? Have an outstanding week of weather with uh, temperatures at or somewhat below normal, and uh, quite a bit of sunshine. Uh, really, not much in the way of any rain this week. Uh, should be a, a, a good week for crop growth uh, in the Midwest, and uh, Lord knows they need it. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover key tar from your 80s cover band? 
Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Lots going on in the biofuels world. Joining us now is Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Let's start right off with EPA Administrator Wheeler's uh, defense of their granting of these small refinery exemptions and claiming that those waivers are not harming and have not harmed ethanol demand. How do you respond to that? Well, Mike, first, thanks for having me. Uh, you know, we, we've been seeing reports this week that uh, Administrator Wheeler met with six senators from farm states last week, uh, senators that we would consider uh, friendly to, to our industry and, and champions for the RFS, and, and they wanted some answers on small refiner exemptions and what's going on at EPA. And, and reportedly, Administrator Wheeler told them uh, that, uh, you know, these, these exemptions that we've been handing out aren't having any impacts. Uh, on biofuel blending um, and, and are not negatively impacting uh, renewable fuel producers and, and, and our industry, the ethanol industry. And, and we think that is uh, just outright ludicrous uh, for him to argue uh, and make those claims in, in the meeting he had with the senators last week. Um, you know, all you have to do is look around, Mike, and, and we, you know, we've seen 14 ethanol plants uh, you know, idle production or permanently close in the last 10 months. Uh, we've definitely seen an erosion in domestic blending demand. Uh, our margins are bleeding red in many cases and have been for a while. So to suggest that the industry is not feeling any pain from these exemptions is just beyond the pale. But if that is his thinking and that is his belief, it's hard to be optimistic that their policy and their uh, decision-making on small refinery exemptions moving forward will be much different than what it has been. Well, you know, our, our hope is that uh, we can get the attention of, of the president and, and, and get him to take a personal interest in this issue the same way he did with E15. Uh, we saw what happened when, when President Trump uh, got personally involved in the E15 issue. It, it got resolved, and we have the, the ability to sell E15 year-round today. Uh, when he was uh, at the ethanol, one of our member ethanol plants in June, this issue of small refiner exemptions was certainly brought up, was discussed with the president directly, um, and I think that's the reason we haven't seen these petitions decided yet, and the reason that they've been delayed is, is we hear that the president went back to D.C. Uh, and directed Administrator Wheeler and, and Secretary Purdue to figure out a way forward on these exemptions that wasn't going to harm rural America and farmers. So. Um, you know, we, we intend to just keep the heat on uh, at the White House, uh, keep this issue in front of the president himself as much as possible, um, and we think that's probably the, the only way it's going to get resolved because clearly we have an, another administrator at EPA um, who is not uh, just clearly not understanding the impacts that these exemptions are having on our markets. Now, Administrator Wheeler has been visiting an oil refinery. I know you offered an invitation for him to check out an ethanol plant. Did, uh, 
did he take you up on that uh, request, that offer? Well, we haven't heard back yet, Mike, but we intend to, to follow up, uh, and that invitation is, is always open. Uh, Administrator Wheeler was uh, at Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy in June with the president, but he kind of slipped in and, and out uh, of that event. He, he did not tour the facility with the president, um, did not speak directly with the workers uh, employed at that facility, um, it didn't appear to, to have much to say with the farmers that were attending that event. Um, so we'd like to get him back out to an ethanol plant um, so he can spend some, some time with uh, the folks who were affected by these decisions, uh, the folks who were employed by this industry, and, and the farmers who are impacted very much by decisions uh, around the renewable fuel standard and, and biofuels policy. So uh, that invitation remains open. I see that uh, he was in St. Louis last night, uh, Mr. Wheeler was, uh, and happened to attend a Cardinals game. Um, so he saw at least saw a good baseball game while he was in town, but he didn't, uh, didn't bother to stop by the offices here. He should have called you. I'm sure you'd have hooked him up with some tickets, and you, you two could have sat there through the great Cardinal victory over the Cubs and uh, maybe talked a little biofuels. That missed opportunity I there. I would have enjoyed that very much, yes. Yeah. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Now, Jeff, your your group is part of a coalition seeking court action, uh, forcing EPA to account for the lost biofuel volumes. Tell us about this. Well, Mike, last year we filed a petition with EPA um, asking them to reconsider the way that they are handling or, or not handling small refiner exemptions. And, and we said, look, the law is pretty clear on this, and we believe you need to be um, redistributing any exempted volumes. If you want to give out 30 you know, small refiner exemptions, okay, but that lost volume, that lost demand needs to be reapplied and, and redistributed to non-exempt parties. Uh, we asked EPA to, to, to look at that and, and reconsider its approach. Um, they basically ignored our request, and we haven't heard anything or seen any sign from the agency that they intend to address our request, and so the action we took just this morning was to go to the D.C. District Court and ask the court, uh, or the Court of Appeals, actually, to uh, you know to get involved here and 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 uh, you know basically force EPA uh, to respond to our petition. Uh, we we hate to have to do that, but you know when the when it's radio silence from the agency and we don't have any idea about what they're thinking on this, uh, we felt like we had to take the next step and, and get the courts involved. Meanwhile, there's a public hearing going on in Michigan. I know that the RFA is submitting testimony there. That's right. Uh, actually, as we speak, uh, people are testifying at this hearing uh, in Michigan on the 2020 RFS proposed volumes. Uh, Scott Richmond, our chief economist, just finished testifying a little while ago, and, and his message was, as you might imagine, um, you know, that, that EPA cannot and should not continue to give out these small refinery exemptions without reallocating that lost volume. Uh, the law is very clear that when Congress said 15 billion gallons, that's exactly what it meant. And if that 15 billion gallons isn't going to be, you know, if small refiners aren't going to be responsible for, for blending part of that volume, uh, then the remaining larger non-exempt refiners need to, need to make up for that. Um, you know, we also, Scott also commented on uh, EPA's failure to address a 2016 or 2017 court order 
uh, directing them to restore some lost volume from a previous waiver they issued. So, um, you know, lots of issues with EPA and its mismanagement of the RFS. Uh, and I know the agency is getting an earful from, from our industry and, and our friends in the biodiesel industry today in Michigan. Fair to say you are frustrated right now with uh, what's going on uh, with EPA and uh, their lack of uh, movement on some of these issues? I, frustrated would probably be an understatement, Mike. Uh, we are, you know, feel like we're at our wits' end almost. Um, you know, and, and it seems that, uh, you know, the attitude at EPA is, well, we got the E15 rulemaking done for you earlier this summer. Uh, so you got, you know, you got what you needed, you got what you wanted, uh, and so we're going to continue to do all these favors for the oil refiners over here with small refiner exemptions and, and ignoring a court order and, and all these other actions that are just continuing to uh, do damage to our industry. I think people would be really surprised how much support, how much uh, in the way of incentives, tax breaks that the oil industry receives. Oh, no doubt about it, Mike. And, and I, as someone who follows the ethanol industry as closely as you do, I, I know that you continue to hear the same way we do the myth that, oh, ethanol is, is subsidized and it wouldn't exist if not for government subsidies. And, and, and the fact is we don't have a tax incentive. We don't, there is no ethanol subsidy. Uh, the blender's tax credit expired in 2011. Uh, meanwhile, you've got you know, all sorts of hidden incentives and, and tax shelters and write-offs and subsidies buried deep in the tax code for the oil industry and the refining industry, uh, and we rarely hear much talk about those. Some of those programs have existed for the better part of a century. Um, so that is, that is another area where we, you know, we, we feel like we have to have the RFS in place in order to, uh, you know, help level the playing field and help our product, ethanol, gain access to a marketplace uh, that is otherwise closed to competition and, and is highly subsidized. Um, so that's, you know, yet one more of those myths that's out there is that, you know, ethanol is subsidized and oil isn't. In fact, it's, you know, quite the opposite, um, and, and folks just don't know that. All right, Jeff, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. Take care. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Well, yesterday, former Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack testified before the Senate Finance Committee about the importance of getting USMCA passed. We will talk with the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? 
Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. In the grain and oil seed sector, we've got minus signs across the board on this Wednesday trading session, mostly defensive for livestock at the Merck, too. USDA reported the sale of 104,500 metric tons of soybeans on Wednesday. Destination for the deliveries unknown, which is usually believed to be China by market traders. Midwest weather forecast for the western Corn Belt. Dry conditions, just a few light showers Wednesday through Thursday. Mostly dry weather through Saturday. So mostly favorable conditions with no significant hot weather. But the main concern is slow development. Any freezing temperatures between mid-September, mid-October could be quite damaging, according to the wire talk. Some damage on the soybean charts. We fell yesterday on the new crop November. The market pierced but did not close below key soybean support at 890 and a quarter, the low from July 9th. A head and shoulders top formation is seen on the daily soybean chart with the top at the June peak at 948. An hour into this Wednesday, November at 8. 91 and three quarters down a nickel. December corn down six cents at 415. Chicago wheat September down eight cents at 489 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat September down three and a half. Bid 525 and a quarter. Kansas City September down six and a half at 427. Livestock of the American live cattle futures. The August contract down 12 cents at 107.97. Feeder cattle August down 72 at 142.42. Lean hogs, October down 32, 73.67. The Dow up 27, NASDAQ up 16, S&P flat. September crude in New York up 31 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. As the Senate gets ready to head out for their August recess, yesterday before a Senate Finance Committee hearing, Former Secretary of Agriculture, now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, testified about the importance of passage of USMCA 
and he joins us now. Mr. Secretary, thank you for being with us. Um, if you would kind of if you sum up your uh, testimony yesterday about why it is so important to agriculture in general, the dairy industry in particular, to pass USMCA. Mike, I shared with the Finance Committee a couple of statistics. First of all, how important are exports to American agriculture? 30% of our crop basically is exported, 20% of our income directly connected to exports. How important is the Mexican-Canadian market? Well, 28% of all ag exports and food exports go to those two countries. USMCA uh, has been determined to increase opportunity for a number of commodities, uh, roughly $2.2 billion of additional sales once it's fully implemented for American agriculture, so it's going to impact and affect the bottom line in a real way. Not only will it help support farm income, but it will also help to create and support good-paying jobs. So I wanted to share that with the, the Senate committee to make sure that they understood that what was at stake uh, specifically for U.S. Uh, agriculture and very specifically for U.S. dairy, uh, tremendous opportunity for us to expand market access in Canada and to preserve uh, a very important market uh, opportunity in Mexico. Yeah, let's go over again how you see USMCA from a dairy perspective an improvement over the existing NAFTA agreement. Well, first and foremost, preserving our number one market, uh, Mexico, at a zero uh, tariff uh, market, uh, opportunity for us to continue to grow that market. Uh, in addition, there was a side letter to the agreement that basically provides additional protections for uh, geographic indications, which is a, a me mechanism that's being used by the EU to try to create a monopoly on certain cheese names. Uh, we now have, a, a based on this side agreement, once it's ratified, we'll have a, a process by which we can protect commonly used cheese names in that market. On the Canadian side, uh, opportunity for us to have a bit more market access, uh, increases in, in quotas for cheese, whey, skim milk powder, uh, and other dairy products. Uh, opportunities as well for us to see the end of Class 7, uh, which has distorted the, the powder price. Uh, we think there's about 200 to $220 million of additional business opportunity in that Canadian market uh, once USMCA is fully uh, ratified and, and implemented. We hear uh, House Democrats have uh, submitted a list of things they want to see addressed to get their support of USMCA. Now we kind of wait to see the administration's response to that. Uh, do you like so far what you're seeing about how the two sides have been working together on this? Well, I think Ambassador Lighthizer, who's the U.S. Trade Representative, uh, and Speaker Pelosi have a good relationship. And I think there is a, a recognition that enforcement is important. Uh, I think there are concerns about whether or not the labor provisions that uh, the Mexican government agreed to uh, and have actually passed uh, laws to enforce will, in fact, be enforced. Uh, and so I think it's appropriate for, uh, for that discussion to take place. I think it's, it's, it's certainly uh, being uh, in good faith. Uh, and I think there is a willingness on the part of everyone to get to yes. Uh, obviously, uh, we're not quite there yet, uh, but I think there is a, a real desire to get there, which I, I think is important. And I think once we can get it through the House, I think passage in the Senate is going to be a little bit easier. Also, seemingly very important to get that vote done when they get back from the August recess. Well, Mike, look, uh, you got to get it done in the fall, uh, late summer, early fall. Uh, you don't want this bleeding over into a presidential campaign year. Uh, there are uh, unfortunate uh, uh, discussions about trade during, during uh, political campaigns that I think make it harder for people to vote for trade agreements. Uh, trade agreements are always difficult to get passed, but in the campaign year it would be incredibly difficult. So I think there is a pressure on everyone 
try to get this done. Now, this August recess, Mike, gives all of us an opportunity to visit with our members of Congress. They have town hall meetings. They have uh, office meetings. Senators are out and about at state fairs and county fairs. It's an opportunity for us to reinforce the message uh, to our elected officials that this is an important uh, trade agreement. Uh, hopefully, it will also provide momentum uh, for other agreements. Hopefully, it, it provides uh, the opportunity for Ambassador Lighthizer to finish his negotiations with the Japanese uh, so that we get uh, potentially an opportunity to see that market expand. Uh, and then, you know, uh, fingers crossed at some point in time, maybe the China situation gets resolved. And if not, um, uh, USMCA, uh, Japan opportunities will allow us at least uh, to have some good feeling going into 2020. We're talking with the president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, former Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. You mentioned Japan. Seem, things seem to be going very well. Uh, we hear a lot of positive uh, news about getting uh, close to a deal done with Japan. What are you hearing? Well, I'm hearing the same thing, and I think there's, again, a genuine effort on the part of the Japanese government to avoid uh, auto tariffs. I think there's an opportunity as well and, a, and, a, and a, uh, an incentive for the Trump administration to get a win in trade uh, if they can negotiate a mini-deal. Uh, where they forego uh, using the auto tariffs for J uh, Japanese cars and at the same time get commitments from the Japanese to open up uh, their dairy market, open up their uh, their other agricultural uh, commodity markets, then I think we will see uh, a pretty good deal, a pretty good opportunity. This market for dairy is really important. It's our number four market. It's a market that's growing. It's a market where our competitors now have an advantage because of free trade agreements they've been able to negotiate. Uh, and if those if those advantages continue, uh, we could lose market share. If we get a level playing field or maybe even a better deal, uh, we can see our, our volume grow perhaps by as much as uh, 100%, and we can see our, our, value, our, our value grow by, by three times. So it's a tremendous opportunity for us, uh, and, uh, again, hopeful that the administration can get this done before the end of the year. Things not quite as positive on China. That back and forth continues, and it sounds like it could go a while. Uh, what's the current status? Are we able to get any dairy sales into China right now with the tariff situation? We are able to get uh, a small amount of dairy into China, but certainly not anywhere near what we were selling. We've seen about a 40 to 45 percent drop in business opportunity in China as a result of the tariffs. Look, uh, they're, they're, you're going to read in the, in the newspaper, you're going to hear on the, on the news, uh, opportunities of discussions taking place between the Chinese officials and U.S. officials for potential uh, ag purchases. Uh, the reality is the Chinese have made promises in the past to purchase ag products. They've not fulfilled those promises. Uh, the current negotiations and discussions, I think, are, are really designed to, to get the negotiations back on track. Uh, the Chinese will not purchase agricultural products to placate the United States, they will purchase them when there is a need. Uh, on the dairy side, uh, you know, I think there is uh, there will continue to be a need, but right now they are fulfilling that need uh, from some of our competitors uh, because we are such a competitive disadvantage from a price standpoint. Uh, hopefully, uh, over time, uh, this thing gets worked out. But as I've said before, Mike, on your show, uh, the, what, what we're asking the Chinese to do is fundamentally change the way they're doing uh, business in China uh, with American companies, that's going to be very, very difficult for them to agree to. Uh, so I, I think this is a long, protracted negotiation and discussion. Meanwhile, I think it's up to our industry to look for other opportunities, and I think there are other opportunities. Southeast Asia, the Middle East and North Africa, uh, USMC ratified with the new opportunities in Canada, a, a Japanese agreement that expands that market opportunity, a Korea market that's continuing to grow. So we're going to continue to look progressively for places outside of China 
that then if something happens uh, on the positive side of the China, well, all, all to the good. In the meantime, we're not going to stop looking for opportunities to place our, our dairy products around the world. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up because sometimes it sounds like we're putting all of our eggs in one basket, the Chinese basket, and that's not the case. So you're looking at constantly to uh, develop other markets around the world. That's right, and we're seeing expanded opportunities in Korea. We had uh, one of the best uh, first couple of months in terms of cheese sales in Korea we've ever had. Uh, Southeast Asia continues to be of great interest to us. We're, we're establishing a center of dairy excellence uh, in Singapore to send a message that we're going to be in that market for good. Uh, the Middle East and North Africa continues to, to see some, some progress uh, and promise, and, and uh, we've just uh, recently concluded uh, some additional expansion into Chile uh, and potentially Peru in South America. So we're looking for new opportunities. We're looking to expand existing opportunities. However, uh, you know, we are at a disadvantage. Uh, the European Union has been very aggressive in terms of negotiating free trade agreements. They have advantages in a number of these markets. Uh, they have relationships in a number of these markets. So we do need a couple of wins here, and hopefully we get uh, the USMC ratified, and hopefully we get a, a Japanese agreement that opens up uh, new market opportunities. Yeah, for those who wonder how important are trade deals, well, if your competitor is getting trade deals done, it sure makes it a lot harder to compete, doesn't it? Well, it's, it, it's impossible. I mean, you take a look at the Japanese market, uh, again, it, we're, it's roughly a $300 million market. We could potentially lose $100 million of business opportunity because of the tariff differential, or we could actually see a tripling of that number. So that's the, that's the opportunity here that a free trade agreement or any kind of agreement with Japan to open up that market would create for us. So, it, so it's a huge opportunity, and, and frankly, it's, it's the higher value uh, products that they want, and it's the higher value products that will help uh, translate into higher milk checks uh, for our dairy farmers. Uh, and certainly uh, after several years of very difficult times, you know, we would like to see some stronger prices, and we're beginning to see a little up uptick in terms of price, but we're still not where we need to be in order to reassure farmers that they, they can stay in business. Always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. You bet, Mike. Take care. Take care. That's former Secretary of Agriculture and now President and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council, Tom Vilsack, uh, giving us a trade update and, again, stressing the importance, as he did yesterday before the Senate Finance Committee, the importance of getting USMCA passed and uh, critical to really get it done this year, the best opportunity when they get back from their August recess. Well, yesterday we had hoped to get uh, a preview of the Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days with Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress, but uh, we had some cell phone issues. Hopefully those are corrected now. I believe Matt is actually in Grand Island at the Husker Harvest Days site, so we'll check in with him next to get a preview of both shows. Stay with us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. 
They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. eighty over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110 and I had a stroke and I'm 33 so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it or talk with your doctor to create an exercise diet and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell Brought to you by the American Heart Association American Medical Association and the Ad Council I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty, and sadly in 09, it was sparks from me, your handy chains dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com, brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed my mother was always very active and independent and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. There was a study released recently comparing organic milk with conventional milk, and the study says and claims that the 
the non-organic milk tested positive for pesticides, illegal antibiotics, and growth hormones. When I get reaction to that from the dairy industry, joining us now is the Senior Vice President, Regulatory Affairs for the National Milk Producers Federation, Clay Detlefson. Clay, thank you for joining us. Uh, what do you make of this study? At this point, we don't buy it. We don't believe that the results that have been provided are accurate. They fly in the face of government test results that have been going on for years and years and years, and it's just very unusual that these results could be valid. So we're questioning the methodology and the proficiency of the folks that uh, perform the testing. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And time now for a Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days preview. And it's brought to you by Acuron Corn Herbicide from Syngenta. Upgrade your herbicide to Acuron. Always read and follow all label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Joining us is Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress. Matt, thanks for being with us, uh, and glad the cell phone's working today. I can't apologize enough for that, Mike. I was sitting there waiting for the call, and it just never came. There was some kind of a Verizon outage, and I just couldn't get with you yesterday. Yeah, I talked to you later, and you said you were waiting for the phone to ring. never did. We were calling and calling. Then we find out that you were one of many that got caught in that. So uh, glad that you're with us now. And you are actually in Grand Island, right, at Husker Harvest Day's uh, site? I am. I am in sunny Grand Island, Nebraska, sitting here in the Shell office. We've had several meetings already we've got a traffic and safety meeting coming up here at noon and just just generally kind of one of those planning trips to touch base and look at everything and make sure that everything's on pace and i'm i'm glad to report that uh despite the horrible weather that we had in nebraska uh through this growing season everything here at the site looks good corn's on pace new seeding of alfalfa that they just got bailed up yesterday is it's going to make for some great haying demonstrations and, and just lots of good things going on out here Husker Harvest Days will be September 10th, 11th, and 12th. It has been just such a challenging year for uh, the state of Nebraska. Uh, I'm sure folks maybe will just want to come to the show and kind of get away from all that for a while and uh, enjoy those three days, and hopefully the weather will cooperate. Well, that's, that is exactly right. And, and, you know, we as tough as it's been throughout the Midwest this year, and, and especially in Nebraska, you know, Husker Harvest Days Farm Progress Show, that's kind of a, an opportunity to take a break, get away from the house for a while, uh, maybe even be the first step to looking forward to 2020 being a much better year than 2019, start, start making your plans for that. We're talking with Matt Youngman, Director of Trade Shows for Farm Progress. Now the Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois, next month. In fact, we're about to say this month, <laughs> starting tomorrow, August 27th, 28th, and 29th. Things are, I'm sure, rapidly picking up there, right? Yeah, the pace is picking up in Decatur, and, and you know, it's everything runs on a, on a cycle, and so out, things out here at Husker are, are about to pick up in about two weeks, but at Farm Progress Show, you know, day by day I'm getting updates of this tent is going up, and, and the, the wood, uh, the landscapers are in, the electrician is in, uh, everything is, is starting to take shape for a, a really good, really good Farm Progress Show. When we were there in Decatur at the site a, a few days ago, 
we were out in the field looking at uh, some, I think it was 86-day corn we were looking at, you were relieved that you knew you were going to have something to harvest. Now, it may be high moisture, but you'll have something for those field demos. Yeah, there was another meeting uh, earlier this week, indicator, with the with the host farmers and the folks that run the field demonstrations. And, and you know, we're, we're kind of working on the details, uh, adding a, a bagging demonstration and, and, and working on laying out the autonomous demonstrations and some of those kind of things. But, you know, the overriding subject that we're all talking about is, is how many units are we? We're all looking at graphs and, and normal heat units and, and those kind of things. And, and fortunately, in central Illinois, we're running ahead on heat units a little bit. It's, it's a pretty pleasant week, which means we're not maxing out heat units right now. But we're, we're ahead enough that we're pretty confident that we're looking at, you know, 28, 30 percent corn at showtime. And that, that early that early corn dries down really fast. So, you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be dropping better than a point a day there at the end of August and, and, and should be in good shape to run field demonstrations. And I know, as you told us before, you're really excited about the number of new releases, a lot of new product releases will be happening during the Farm Progress Show. Yeah, you know, it, it, typically we don't we don't get to know what what they're going to be because things get embargoed and we don't know about them until they unveil them. But you know, at Farm Progress Show and at Husker Harvest Days, you're going to see the AFS Connect tractor from Case IH, the the new additions to the Fence family from Agco, new cross tractors, new Versatile, new Kubota. Uh, you know, the, the list just just goes on and on. The the Rocksor product, uh, which is kind of exciting, uh, a new addition to the side by side group. It's uh, it, it, a lot of a lot of new product introductions, and that's not to to slight in any way, you know, things other than trackers because there's plenty of new tillage tools and and the autonomous demos and all that kind of stuff going on at the show this at both shows this year. Now you've told us that you know with all the curiosity and the interest that some have shown in in hemp that you are going to have information there about hemp production. Yeah, we are. We're we're, we're working with the National Hemp Association. So that we can have hemp content at Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Day. So if growers are interested in learning more about it, um, you know, and I've kind of told it to them from the standpoint of there's a lot of growers that need a hemp 101. They need to know exactly what this stuff is, the different ways that you grow it, the different products that that you're aiming for with what you're growing, and, and just try to learn more about about what that product, what that that commodity might mean for, for your your farming operation. Well, we're into that final month, so the uh, the countdown is on. We're in the home stretch, and we'll be talking with you each week now, between now and and the uh, and Farm Progress Show at the end of August. So th- things will really ramp up now, week to week, right, and even day to day. Yeah, that's exactly right. We'll we'll be seeing changes every day, and there there will be plenty of new stuff. I know that the the Syngenta Square beer tent is up, and so you know things are things are coming together. Um, you know, I, I sure want to mention the. Uh, the, the partnership that we have with Titan at Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days, we're, we're paying farmers $100 to come to either show. The wristband that you get when you walk into either Farm Progress or Husker, uh, you take that to the Titan exhibit, and you will get a certificate that's good for $100. And it's not buy this much and get $100 off. It is it is as good as a $100 bill. Uh, if you need replacement tires on anything that you've got on your farm, the Titan makes a tire for uh, it's it's a it's a hundred dollar bill in your hand. All right, Matt. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you again next week and keep uh, updating everyone on both shows. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Mike. Appreciate it. Matt Youngman, director of trade shows for Farm Progress. As we look ahead to Farm Progress Show in Decatur, Illinois.
August 27th, 28th, and 29th, and Husker Harvest Days, Grand Island, Nebraska, September 10th through the 12th. Our preview brought to you by Acuron Corn Herbicide from Syngenta. Upgrade your herbicide to Acuron. Always read and follow all label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be back with us tomorrow as we kick off August right here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.